Would you open up your Bibles, please, to Psalm 100? Psalm 100. I'm continuing today this uh, mini two-week series on the Psalms and looking at just how God can work in our own hearts through the Psalms. I, I hope you were encouraged last week that perhaps you were able to use Psalm 42 in your own weariness and work through that. I encourage you to to take that as a pattern, to go into the Psalms and pray the Psalms. Use the Psalms. This is, this is our divine prayer book that God uses in us to, to kind of conform us to his image through these words, especially in seasons of life when, when we don't know what to pray. And, and those can be different kinds of seasons of, of either wariness or apathy or uh, fear any kind of season, we can go to the Psalms and let the words of the Psalm by faith become our words being prayed back to God. And, and something kind of amazing happens that we're, we're praying these, these words to God and at the same time, the Psalms kind of feeding us and God is speaking to us. It's a, it's a wonderful, remarkable thing that God does through his word. So today we're looking at Psalm 100. Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word to stand uh, out of respect for the authority of God himself as revealed to us through the scriptures here in Psalm 100. A psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. And know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name for the Lord, that is Yahweh, for Yahweh is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Let us pray. Father, speak now your life-giving word. By your spirit, dislodge from us any distractions and contrary thoughts in our mind so that we might hear your word for us today. And lead us, O God, lead us along still waters until we come to the source of life found in the supremacy of Jesus Christ over all things. Let that word be upon our hearts today. And so move us. In the name of Jesus, we pray, the Son of God, the divine King. Amen and amen. We ended last week on the final word of Psalm 42. And what was that final word? God. That's right. The very last word of this great lament is God. 
You know, the psalmist was, was, we saw was wary and discouraged, but he would wait on God, we saw. He ends that refrain that appears twice in the Psalms and ends the very last verse. He ends with, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And with that, he's kind of pointing to the whole rest of the Psalter, to the Psalms that follow, almost kind of in this future grace, kind of just pointing toward, I will again praise him. And we see that unfold as the Psalms go on in the book of Psalms. So we, we learned from Psalm 42, and particularly as we came to the end, we learned that, that what we need most right now in our, in our lives it is not for our lives to get back to normal as much as we wanted that, right? But what we needed most, what the psalmist was pointing to, is what we need most is for God himself. And that's how the psalm ends. Today, uh, today, in, in some respects, is part two of Psalm 42. Today, we're going to drill down on that final word of that psalm, which is God. So this is a sermon on one word, <laughs> except for I'm going to cheat and use all of Psalm 100. <laughs> the, the wary disciple ends his prayer with God. And as I said last week, that, that this ending has kind of just this explosive meaning that just races back and forth through, through all the canon of Scripture. Who is this God that we're waiting on in our wariness? This is the question that, that echoes in the book of Psalms, especially after laments like the one we looked at last week in Psalm 42. This question just hangs over the Psalter. Who is this God that we're waiting on? This leads us today to Psalm 100. Psalm 100 nicely answers the question that lingers over Psalm 42. Who is this God? So Psalm 100, if you look at the text, 100, it opens with this superscription that begins the psalm. In the ESV, it says, a psalm for giving thanks. This is part of the original text. Um, in, in most Bibles, it's kind of in, maybe like in mine here, it's little like all caps, but the small all caps. Uh, this, is, this is part of the text. Uh, so don't, don't skip over it. And this is important here because this is the only psalm in the Bible that has a superscription about giving thanks. The only psalm. Uh, There's plenty of other psalms that lead us to thanksgiving, but this psalm is singled out in kind of the whole book of psalms as the psalm that leads you to thanksgiving. And I think that that in doing that, it it kind of looks back on all the psalms that came before it. Think of the psalms. Sometimes we forget the psalms as a book itself. And Psalm 100 is kind of looking back at all these previous psalms. It's looking back and it's summoning the one who's praying the psalms to turn now from lament to thanksgiving. And why should the the wary disciple give thanks? Why Should the writer of Psalm 42 embrace the the thanksgiving of the writer of Psalm 100? 
the psalm gives us two distinct answers to that. And both come after stanzas that are imploring us to praise and to give thanks. Look at, look at verses 1 and 2 here. A psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. The psalmist exhorts us to, to praise Yahweh. Why, though? Why should we sing joyfully to the Lord? Especially if we're having more of a a Psalm 42 kind of week instead of a Psalm 100 kind of week. Well, the psalmist gives us his first answer in verse 3. Look at verse 3. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. And we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. See, verse 1 and 2 is out here crying out, praise God, give thanks to him, hail God. And verse 3 is kind of like underneath it, kind of holding it up, trying to hold it up. So you could almost like indent verse 3 over and imagine it's the foundation of verse 1 and 2. We see here that God is creator and our king. And, and almost as if the, the psalmist kind of understands our Psalm 42-like feelings, he reminds us of just who God is, this, this God who we're waiting on. Who is this God? He is the creator God. He made us. We are his. We belong to him. What, what assurance that, that God created us. And did not reject us. You know, when we, we look into the mirror often and, and we reject ourselves, but God is not rejecting those who are in Christ. And this is very good news for the weary person. God made you, the psalmist is saying. God made you exactly the way he wanted. He knows you better than you know yourself. What what better person to wait on in your weariness? The Psalm 100 is kind of looking back at Psalm 42 and, and saying, in your weariness, take comfort. You belong to the God of Israel, to the God of Jesus, the Messiah. And the same goes for uh, the weary church. This is not just a, an individual kind of a, a God and me kind of truth. Rather, the psalmist is reminding the elect people of God that, that we collectively are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. And, and sometimes we, we kind of worry and stew about how will God's church survive such and such. Sometimes we're wearied by by the culture around us. We we even kind of fight back, but not often out of a humble desire to spread the glory of God. Rather, we kind of fight back out of our wariness that seeks self-preservation. Psalm 100 comes along and and just kind of rejects all of this. We, the church, we, individual Christian, 
belongs to Yahweh, the true God. We will be preserved by him during seasons of weariness because we are his. We're we're created by him, known by him, designed by him. The gates of hell will not prevail against his church. This is why the weary church can wait on God during Psalm 42 seasons like we're in right now. But there's something more here in Psalm 100. If you look again there at verse three, this, this language that, that we are his people, the, the sheep of his pasture, this is royal language in the ancient world. Any ancient reader would read this and see that God is not only our creator, but he is our king. This is the shepherd language is language of kingship. Uh, incidentally, when, when Jesus is walking around in John 10, and you have that famous passage in this dialogue, and Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Jesus is not just saying, uh, I'm the guy who's just going to kind of cuddle up to you and hug you like a little lamb. He's saying, I'm Yahweh. I have returned as your king. And that's what Psalm 100 verse 3 is pointing to. He is our king. And in, in Psalm 100 here, this is, this is not entirely unexpected. The, the whole book of Psalms, the Psalms are all about the kingship of God. Though you might not think it at first, in the first half of the book, where the, which is just dominated by lament. But right about Psalm 92 or 93, you get this series in, of psalms where the Psalter just kind of dramatically changes in tone uh, immediately before Psalm 100 here. After dozens and dozens of psalms of lament, Psalm 92 through 99 move the supplicant toward a view of the kingship of God. And it says, like in Psalm 93, the Lord reigns. Or Psalm 97, the Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Verse 5 of 97, the mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. And so when Psalm 100 begins, Psalm 100 is built on the foundational promise that, that Israel's God, Our God is king. He is the king. The kingship of God then is all over Psalm 100. Just the opening line there. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Uh, Another way we could say this is simply, Hail Yahweh, all the earth. Hail our king. And then verse 2, serve the Lord. Come into his presence with singing. This is royal language. Or verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his, what, courts with praise. This is a psalm about a king. This is dripping with royal language. The God who we are waiting on in our weariness is not only our creator, but he is king. The, the reason why the author of Psalm 42 can wait on God 
is because the, because the God of Psalm 100 is in charge. That's what that little, ver- that little word God in Psalm 42 at the end is pointing to throughout the rest of the book of Psalms. The kingship of God. He reigns over all things. And, you know, this is probably not new for anybody. This is probably, I, I doubt few, many of you are sitting there going, I've never heard this before, that God is king. We, we know this. You've been well taught if you've been here long. But our weariness, our weariness tends to eclipse the reign of God, doesn't it? It's like the, the dreary clouds of winter that come and, and kind of just cover up the sun. And, and we almost forget the warmth and the brilliance of the sun that, that preserves us even when we can't see it through the clouds. And so Psalm 100 beckons the weary reader, the weary lamenter who's been, been praying through the Psalms. It beckons us out and draws attention to the kingship of God. It reminds us of, of who's in charge. Our God is. He sits in the heavens, Psalm 2 says. Not one thing you are facing right now goes without his notice. Goes without his good rule over it. And not one enemy or obstacle you or God's church faces can threaten his rule. There's nothing at stake this fall in this election, brothers and sisters. Our God rules. He is on his throne no matter what happens. He is on his throne no matter when COVID disappears. Our God reigns, Psalm 100 says. And this is why we can be assured that God hears us when we direct our laments vertically to him. See, we are bringing our laments to the king, then we can wait on this king. And then after verse 3, the the psalmist calls us again to praise God with thanksgiving. In verse 4, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Again, just like in in verse 1 and 2, he gives us a, a second reason why we can do this. And this time, he points directly to the character of God the king. Look at verse 5. For Yahweh, the Lord, for Yahweh is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. Again, just like verse 3 is kind of upholding verses 1 and 2 and kind of standing underneath it. In the same way, verse 5 is over here, just kind of holding up verse 4 and supporting why we can give thanks to God. The God that we are waiting on in Psalm 42 is depicted in Psalm 100 as the creator king who is good, who is marked by steadfast love and faithfulness. You know, Psalm 100 is a prayer, and it's also poetry. 
Psalm 100 is poetry. You're meant to, you're meant to stop and just linger over these attributes of God. You're meant to just ponder, smell, verse 5. Just stop and breathe it in slowly and smell. The Lord is good. Do you smell it like a a warm, crispy cream donut? (laughs) Which has gluten in it? Don't move quickly at this point when praying the Psalms, especially in points like this when many of you have heard this kind of refrain over and over and over, for the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. We need to stop and hear the Spirit of God telling you right now in whatever situation you're facing that the Lord is good. Good. His steadfast love endures forever. His steadfast love is eternal. There's no end to it. His faithfulness to all generations. Our God, the God that we wait on in Psalm 42, is good. Good. This is, this is a common refrain that the Psalms are, are trying to, to drill down into our hearts until it just takes root. Children, let this take root in your hearts. That our God is good. Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that what? The Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Or how about Psalm 135, uh, verse 3? Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Or Psalm 145, verse 9. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. These are verses that we have to preach to ourselves sometimes in those weary moments. Remind ourselves of this. The the writers of Scripture testify to this this fundamental character of God as something that, that we should lean on during our times of weariness and fear and doubt. God is good. One of my favorite examples of this is from the prophet Nahum. In, in Nahum's day, the, the Judeans were greatly troubled by world events. See, Assyria, their neighbors kind of to the northeast, across the Euphrates, Syria is becoming mighty and strong and powerful. And they march across the Euphrates, and they take out Judah's northern neighbors, the northern kingdom, Israel. They wipe them off the map. Well, they inch closer and closer to Judah, and and Judah is watching all this, and they watch themselves just kind of being slowly Squeezed to death and, and weariness from all the, the fear and all the uncertainty just threatens to, to crush them. And you know what Nahum says to them in, in the midst of this? 
In Nahum chapter 1, verse 7, he looks at them and he says, The Lord is good. Now, if I heard that, I'd be kind of like, What? Do you see what's at our borders? But Nahum says, The Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. That's his word to the Judeans. This is exactly what the author of Psalm 100 is emphasizing. Looking back at all the Psalms of lament, including Psalm 42, the Lord is good. And God's goodness here is depicted in in two ways in Psalm 100. First, it's reflected in his steadfast love. His steadfast love endures forever. This is one of the richest terms in the Bible that deserves a whole sermon in of itself. It, it describes a covenant-keeping God who is, who is loyal to his people no matter what. His loyalty is just kind of overflowing to you at this very moment. And then secondly, God's goodness is depicted by his faithfulness to all generations. Faithfulness simply means that that God is always and constantly reliable. Here's, Here's yet another reason why we can direct our wariness to him and wait on him. He is faithful. And in a time when so much change is happening over these last six months, we can take hope that God is reliable. Nothing about that will ever change about him. So so God is good. He overflows with, with steadfast love always, and he is faithful. Now, Don't miss something here that is very important to see in this psalm. The psalmist includes this this triad in verse 5, this triad of God's character in the context of corporate worship. See, Psalm 100 is written with plural verbs. Make a joyful noise. Make, that's like, make, y'all. Y'all make. (laughs) Serve the Lord. Serve all of you. Serve all. Come all into his presence. All of you know. All of you enter his gates. All of you give thanks. It's it's all directed to the corporate body. And as such, verse 5 highlights a profound aspect of God's character that is often overlooked. And it's this. God's character is experienced most richly in the community of the people of God, the church. When we we gather together as one body, the Lord's goodness and steadfast love and faithfulness washes over the people of God. This is... This is precisely why last week I urged you to to make Jesus' body, the church, the center of your life, the main artery that runs through it. Because when, when God's church is moved to the periphery in your life or your family, you 
you actually you cut yourself away from, from experiencing the most profound parts of who God is. You cut yourself off from experiencing God's character as displayed to you in the corporate body, in the church. So let's just, let's just back up and, and remind ourselves of where we are. The, the Psalms offer us a path to follow for the weary disciple. We saw in Psalm 42, Psalm 42 teaches us to, to direct our weariness to God vertically, right? And after directing it to God, we wait on God. Then Psalm 100 shows us who this God is that we're waiting on. He is king. He is creator. We belong to him. We're kept by him. We see that the God of the Bible is good. And this Goodness is on display through his steadfast, loyal love and his remarkable faithfulness toward his elect people. The Psalms and and Psalm 100 particularly show us again and again that what our weary hearts need is the Trinitarian God. And remember the opposite of biblical lament? What was the opposite of biblical lament? Grumbling. Grumbling. Grumbling, the grumbler, remember, directs her wariness to others first instead of God. And, and what happens is her mind, and here's, here's where I'm going, what happens is her mind and her heart becomes full of a vision of all that is wrong in her life. And soon this person can't see anything else. But the one who directs his or her wariness to God and, and then waits on God, and then in Psalm 100, ponders God's character, this one suddenly finds their mind and heart becoming full of a vision of all that God is. And soon, they can't see anything else either. But that's because the greatness and the grandeur of God the King eclipses all those other things that that bring weariness to the soul. And and it's not not that those trials and and weary things go away. There's wounds there that stay, aren't there? It's just that, that God is bigger. It's that God is bigger, and he's big enough and fills all of that. And it's at this point then that that something miraculous happens, something that only meditating on God's character can do, thankfulness. Thankfulness emerges from the soil of meditating on God's character and kingship. Back in Psalm 100, Psalm 100 commands us to give thanks and praise God. Look at verse 1 and 2. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. But in each case in Psalm 100, as we saw, what supports this praise and what supports this thanksgiving is who God is his character, his nature. 
So note that the opening commands to hail Yahweh with joy is not based on on any particular circumstances. It's not based on how I'm feeling today. I don't feel like going to worship today. It's not based on, on whether I've been particularly sinful or not. It's based on God. The, the objective reality that he is creator and king. And, and the same is true in verse 5. If you look at verse 5 there, the, the thanksgiving to God in verse 5 doesn't come from his lips because of, of some kind of radical miracle that took place. Rather, verse 4 is undergirded by verse 5, showing that it is, this thanksgiving is based on God's goodness his eternal devotion, his faithfulness. And so nothing about me or my situation changes that fact about God. God's character is the foundation of our gratitude and thankfulness, even even when Michael's wary. If we, as God's people, are not characterized by thankfulness to God, then we need to stop. We need to stop and and discover what it is that we're meditating on in the moment. Our wariness can sometimes put us in a cloud and, and obscure our view of God. And so using Psalm 100, going to Psalms and other Psalms helps kind of direct our gaze to the reliable character of God. And and that begins to help the clouds slowly, inch by inch, sometimes centimeter by centimeter, move so that you can see God once again. So we fight weariness by following the Psalms and pouring out to God our broken hearts, Psalm 42. We fight weariness by waiting on God, hoping, trusting that he will act. Again, Psalm 42. But Psalm 100 shows us that we fight weariness by being thankful. We fight weariness by being thankful. And and this thankfulness only comes from the well-watered soil of a soul that habitually looks at the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the one who knows this, this, this sees the, the kindness of God and sees that God is good, which the scriptures are constantly, constantly holding up to us waving a flag in front of us. The scriptures, these men who have endured hard, harsh things keep saying to us, the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to every generation. Let's pray. Father, I pray, O oh God, that you would help us to see the goodness of God. 
If there's a cloud there right now, I pray that you would just pierce through that cloud and help us to see the Lord is good. And that out of that, our hearts would rise and sing with thankfulness to the King, our Creator, in whose name we pray, amen.